Whatever. Whatever. You know, there are some things in life that just don't matter all that much. And if I'm sitting in my living room and my wife calls from the kitchen and she says, Hey, I'm dishing out some ice cream. Uh, Which one do you want? Do you want cookies and cream? Or do you want chocolate chip cookie dough? You know, I I could think about that for a moment and I could say, well, really, whatever. You know what? I mean, it's, they're both ice cream. They they both have cookies in them. They both have chocolate in them. And uh, you know what? I I mean, it it doesn't really matter. Either way, I'm getting pretty much the same thing, right? And and so I could say, well, whichever one you want to, to give me, whichever one needs to get finished first, I mean, just surprise me. It doesn't really matter. Maybe you can give me both of them. I'll just finish both of them. Whatever, right? You know, there are certain things in life that, that maybe we have a whatever attitude to them. And I don't think it's a wrong thing to have a whatever attitude about certain things. But then there are other things that maybe are a little bit more important to think about. Like the day when I stood in front of my family and friends gathered there at that church in Ohio. And uh, down the aisle comes my wife in that beautiful wedding dress. And the pastor turns to me and he says... Hey, Jason, will you take this woman to be your wife? And in that moment, I say, yes. That is not the time to have a whatever attitude, right? That's not a whatever decision to make. You know what? My life has been ever changed since that moment. That, her life has been forever changed since that moment. This morning, as we turn to the scriptures, what we're going to see is that it's decision time. And this is not a whatever decision, but this is a decision that is going to impact this life and all of eternity. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one of the P-Rack in front of you, open that Bible app. But I want to invite you to join me in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Now, last week we finished up a study looking at that Old Testament character by the name of Jeremiah. We saw how God called him and then God used him at a time in the history of Israel where they were going through some really challenging experiences. Next week, we're we're planning to start a new sermon series in the Gospel of John, looking at some of the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples, and and that's going to lead us up to Easter. Today, we're kind of in between sermon series, and we come to this text today that's found at the end of the book of Joshua. And so let me just give you a little bit of background here to kind of understand the context before we read and look at this chapter in Joshua chapter 24. You know, in our text this morning, Joshua is this Old Testament hero who has been leading the people of Israel for the last 30 years. Uh, Moses led the people out of their slavery in Egypt. He led them as they wandered around out in the wilderness for 40 years. But now Moses, as they're about to enter into the promised land, Moses dies. And then the leadership role uh, gets passed over to Joshua. Joshua leads the people as they conquer all of these cities in the promised land. And then they take possession of that land. When we get to Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is 110 years old. He's coming to the end of his life. He has some words that he wants to say to the people. 
And as we come to this chapter, we get this sense that we really want to listen, that we really want to read, we want to receive what Joshua says after all of these years of experience that he has had in life. And this is not just Joshua speaking here, but this is God speaking through Joshua to the people. And so with your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 24, I want you to just see how it begins here in verse 1. Here's what we read. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem to summon the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. All of Israel is gathered together in this special moment. And we know that this is a special moment because it says that they presented themselves before God. That little phrase is used in different places throughout the Bible, and each time it is used to refer to a solemn assembly, a time when the people are gathered specifically because God is going to say something. God is going to speak. This is not an ordinary moment. This is a holy moment. They, they knew that God was going to speak, and they had come there to this place for that purpose. Not only was this a special moment, though, this was a special place. It's no coincidence that they had gathered here at Shechem. Now, we have a map that we're going to put up on the screen so that you can kind of visualize where this place is. But Shechem is between Samaria to the north and Jerusalem to the south. It's kind of in the middle of uh, Israel. In the history of the people of Israel, this place was a significant part of their story. When Abraham was living in a pagan land and God had called him to leave where he was and to go to this new land that he was going to show him, when Abraham got to the place that God wanted him to be at, it was Shechem that he ended up going to. It's in Genesis chapter 12 that we read that God says, talks to Abraham and he says, you know what, you have listened to me and you have followed me. And I am going to make you into a great nation. And I am going to give you this land. It's 400 years later and here are the people, the descendants of Abraham, in the land that God has promised that he would give to them all the way back so many years before. This is the land where it all started. This is the place where in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is coming to the end of his life. God has gathered together this assembly of people and he anoints the next leader, Joshua, to take Moses' spot to lead the people once Moses dies. This is the place in Joshua chapter 8, after the people had experienced this great defeat, after going to this small little town of Ai, and because of their sin, they were defeated there. But they, they come to this place at Shechem, and they renew their covenant with the Lord after this. This is the place in Joshua chapter 24, where they're going to be challenged once again to renew their covenant with the Lord. This is a special place. It's a special moment. And because it says that they had presented themselves before God, there's a special sense that God is going to speak and he is going to say something that they really need to listen to, that they really need to hear. What he does in verses 2 through 13 is that Joshua speaks on behalf of the Lord and he reminds the people of their story. Now, 
What's significant here is that he doesn't just tell them their story from their perspective. What he does is he tells them their story from God's perspective. And when your story is told from God's perspective, it is totally different than when it is told from your perspective. You see, if I were to ask you your story, maybe you would come up with these different ways of kind of describing your story. You would think of all of these special things that make your story different and unique. But could it be that when God tells your story, he brings out some things that are very significant that you might not have even realized were as significant as they are. When we tell our story, often there are a lot of eyes in the story. Like, you know what, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. But you know what, when God tells their, your story, there's also a lot of eyes, but those eyes are referring to him. And, and our story is always his story when it's told from his perspective. And so as we read this, I just want you to notice what the Lord does here as he tells their story and what he emphasizes about what he has done for them here. So we pick up the story beginning there in verse 2. We'll read down through verse 13. And uh, I want you to just follow along. Here's what we read. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Verse 6. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I did not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards and that you did not plant. Now... 
he tells their story because it's important to remind them of what their story is all about in this moment of life where they're en they've entered into the promised land. They've experienced what he has talked about in verse 13 about all of these benefits, about this beautiful land that he has promised them and that he has given to them. He feels that it is important to remind them of their story and what really happened. Not in the way that they thought it happened, but how it really happened. Now, as he retells their story, he reminds them that their story is really a story of two things. Their story is a story of sovereign guidance, and it is a story of saving grace. That's their story. It's a story of sovereign guidance, that God guides them every step of the way, all along their path. And then it is also a story of saving grace. So, in the first few verses here, he shows them that this is a story of sovereign guidance. It's there in verse 2 that he reminds them where it is that, that they came from. And he talks specifically about this guy by the name of Abraham. Now, I don't think that we need to describe this for too long, but if you go back far enough in your family tree, in your family history, it can be quite humbling. And in fact, maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't really have to go back very far at all to see that this is quite humbling. But, but all of us can go back, we go back far enough and we can realize just how very humbling things in our family tree, things in our family history really are. No matter how much we might want to cover up those things, no matter how much you might want all of those things to just be ignored and that you just don't want anyone to know about them, well, when you think about this, it's very humbling. This is true for Israel as well. There are numerous stories that God could have brought up to make this point, but he goes back to the very beginning, and he goes back to a guy named Abraham. The Israelites had remembered Abraham as this righteous man. I mean, he's this man of faith. He steps out in obedience to the Lord. The reason why they are even in the promised land in the first place, in this moment, is because Abraham believed God. It's credited to him as righteousness. He has gone to the land that God has promised to him, and now they are all beneficiaries of this. But the truth is that Abraham was a pagan man from a pagan land. History tells us that Abraham's father, Terah, he was most likely not only an idol worshiper, but he was an idol maker. Now, they lived on the other side of the Euphrates. And the people who lived in that area, they worshipped the god of fire. And they worshipped the god of the sun. And they worshipped the god of the stars. In fact, one of the primary gods of that area was this god called Sin. S-I-N. It was the wife of the moon. Abraham grew up in a generation and with a father and in a home that worshipped not only the moon, but the wife of the moon. They prayed to that God. They asked that God for blessing in life. Did you know that Abraham started out as an absolute pagan? And I think sometimes we view Abraham the way that we view maybe Noah in life. You know, everyone else around him is wicked, but Noah is this righteous man and God spares him because of his righteousness. And we think that Abraham was this righteous man of faith, that God chose him because he was so righteous. Well, it's very, very clear 
In uh, Joshua chapter 24 here, the things that are being taught is that Abraham was a pagan man from a pagan land who grew up in a pagan family. And there's no reason at all that God would look at Abraham and say, well, you know what? I just have to choose this guy because he's so righteous, because he's so good. I need to have him on my side. The only reason that we know of as to why God came and calls Abraham out of this pagan family and this pagan uh, nation, this pagan city to use him, is because God is in the business of transforming people's lives. Often, God uses the most unlikely of people. There's no reason why Abraham deserves this. When God calls, uh, when God tells this story, he wants to remind the people that Just like everyone else, Abraham was a pagan who was saved by the sovereign grace of God and the sovereign guidance of God. That God is the one who is writing this story. That God is the one who calls him out, who leads him every step of the way in life. I mean, just go back here. You look there at the beginning in verse 3. And I just want to read a a few of these verses here for us. But I want you to, to notice something. God says this. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. (laughs) Abraham, who was far from God, he was living in a pagan land, and now he is living in this land of promise and has received these promises from God. Why? Well, because of the sovereign guidance of God. That God leads him every step of the way. In the same way God has been leading his people to this very moment, every step of the way. They were here because God had led them here. God says, you know what? After all of the battles that you have fought, after all of the victories, after all of the hard work, you just need to know that it wasn't so much about your abilities that got you to this place. But it is all about the fact that I have been leading you and I have been guiding you every step of the way. Now, their story, the Israelites' story, is not just one of sovereign guidance, but it is also one of saving grace. And we see this here beginning in verses 6 through 13. You know, 400 years of history, it's all summed up in this one paragraph. And God tells their story, and as he tells their story, he highlights... The crisis moments of life. And I just love this because, you know, it reminds me that someday there's going to be a day where I'm going to see my story from God's perspective. You're going to see your story from God's perspective. And what we're going to realize is that the greatest moments of our lives, the the moments that have been the most defining moments more than any other of the moments of our lives, always seem to be the crisis moments of life. When God tells their story, he emphasizes the crisis moments, and none of us wants these moments. None of us likes these moments. We wish that they would have never happened, but God is the one who leads us through the crisis moments of life. And when your story is told, you will find that those moments are the moments that often define you. 
That those moments are the the moments that God has often used to make you into the person that he wants you to be. You know, you look back on those things and, and what you see is that their lives were just filled with crisis after crisis after crisis. But in every one of those situations, it is a story of God's saving grace. He reflects back on the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and they come out as a result of this plague, these plagues that come. And then they get to the Red Sea. And they get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind, and he sends his army to capture these people, to bring them back. Well, the people cry out to the Lord, and God hears, and he leads the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry ground. The the Egyptians follow after them, and he covers them up with the water of the seas. Next thing that he reflects on here is the Amorites and how the people are out, and they're wandering around out in the wilderness. They are so unprepared for battle. They are unprepared to meet any of their enemies, and God fights for them. And God protects them. And then there is Balaam who wants to curse them. But God does not let Balaam curse them. In fact, Balaam blesses the Israelites. They they finally get into the promised land. And there are all of these nations that are against Israel who want to take Israel out. But God will not... Uh, let them be defeated. He, he, he gives them the land. He gives the land into their hands as he had promised them. And he even sends things like hornets in order to uh, defeat their enemies, in order to accomplish his purposes in their lives. Israel might look back on all of these events. And they might be tempted to think about all of their hard work. They might be tempted to think about all of their abilities and all of their victories. But God says, No, no, no. It's not so much about you, but it is all about my saving grace at work. That I saved you. Their entire lives were a testimony to his saving grace. He he summarizes this in verse 13 and he says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, I just love this because here are these people and they are eating all of the fruit that's there uh, off of the vineyards. They're eating the olives from the olive orchards and and they hadn't planted any of these things. They're eating all of these things. They're enjoying all of these things and and they've been planted by somebody else and they're living in cities that somebody else had built. You know, I think about that in our own lives, and for those of us who are in Christ, we've been called, we've been chosen, we have been set apart, and God continues to work in our lives as well, and he's given us a task to do. We work hard, we pursue after Jesus, we serve him, we we serve in the church, we serve other people. But but at the end of the day, when our story is told, all of the victories are not there because of what we have done, but because of what the Lord has done. At the end of the day, uh, we can say along with the, the psalmist in Psalm 115, where he says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. 
And really, there is no other explanation other than the sovereign guidance of God and the saving grace of God. Now, what I find fascinating is that God doesn't simply tell the Israelites' story here because it's story time and he just wants to tell them a a fun story. But he tells them their, their story because it's decision time. After he tells them their story in verses 2 through 13, it says this in verses 14 and 15. He says, Now therefore, because of everything that I have told you about your story, because of everything that I have done for you, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell. And then this famous quote where he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, he says, you know what? I have retold your story so that you know that I'm at the center of the story. And everything that I've done for you is a sign of my guidance. It's a sign of my grace at work in your life. I have been working in your lives. I've been working in the life of your family for over 400 years. And now you are going to have to make a choice. You can choose to go back and serve the foreign gods that your ancestors used to serve. The God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the stars, the wife of the moon. Or you can serve the Lord. Either way, there is a choice that needs to be made this day. Who are you going to serve? Now, Joshua makes his declaration and he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua says, you know what? I've served the Lord in the past. I have found that he is faithful. My family today, we are choosing to serve the Lord. I don't know what the rest of you are going to do, but we're going to serve the Lord. You know, uh, we, we tend to focus on that last part of the verse where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for Joshua. I'm thankful that his family, they've made this decision. They're making this commitment to the Lord. But just because they have made this commitment to the Lord does not mean that everyone else is just going to follow them. Does not mean that everyone else is going to follow the Lord and serve the Lord as well. And the real statement that I think confronts the Israelites in their day and confronts us today in our day is this statement. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's like Joshua says, you know what, listen, I've chosen. After all of my years of seeking the Lord, of seeing the amazing ways that that he has been at work in my life, around my life, I, I, I just have no other choice here but to choose to follow the Lord. But you know what? I can't make the choice for you. I cannot make the decision for you. You need to choose for yourself. Now, here's what great, what's so great. He, I mean, he tells them what he wants them to choose. He, he tells them about his choice. He tells them that they need to make a choice. It, it's obvious that he wants them to make a particular choice. And, and we see here the response of the people in verses 16 through 18. I want you to just see what it says here. It says, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. 
For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. The Lord drove out, drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. And, and then now the people say this. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, you would think that Joshua would hear the people respond, say that they want to serve the Lord, and that Joshua would just say something like this. Well, praise God that you want to make this decision to serve the Lord. Let's close in prayer, and we're just going to go home now. That's what you would think that he would say. But all of a sudden... He does something very surprising. Something very surprising happens here. Joshua actually says, no, you know what? You're not able to serve the Lord. (laughs) Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. I mean, what a strange moment. You know, it would be like at the end of the service today, you know, after I've begged you to follow the Lord. That maybe you come up to me afterwards and after we've closed and you, and you say, you know what, Pastor Jason, I've really been thinking about this. And you know what, I think I'm ready to follow Jesus. And I look back at you and I say, well, you know what, I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're ready. I think you need to go home and think about it a little bit more. Come back next week and we'll talk. This is what Joshua does here. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. The people say, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua says, no, I don't think you will. Now, there are two reasons why I think Joshua does this. First of all, Joshua knows them. I mean, he has been leading these people for all of these years. And I think he has this sense that they're kind of being caught up in the moment here. They're getting really emotional about this decision. And so he wants them to stop. He wants them to think about this, to recognize and to realize just the seriousness of the decision that they're about to make here. That that what they're about to do is not something to be taken really lightly. This is highlighted by the word serve that is repeated over and over in these verses. Verses 1 through 13, we see God saying, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And then we get to verse 14 and following, and now it just says, you know what, because I did this, now I just want you to serve, 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 serve. The reason why he pauses and makes them think about this is because of what the word serve means. The word serve is talking about a wholehearted obedience, a worship of the Lord. It is the word that the Apostle Paul would use numerous times in the New Testament when he talks about being a servant of God. He is not saying, you know what, I just need you to pray a prayer. I just need you to walk an aisle. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, you know what, I just need you to think about what the Lord has done in the past. He's saying, now that you know what God has done in your past, if you really believe this, then demonstrate the belief uh, by choosing to serve the Lord, by choosing to submit to His authority, by choosing to live like He is the boss of your life. 
It is telling them to take their will, to take our will, and to say, you know what, God, not my will, but yours be done. I'm giving my life over to you so that you can use me, so that you can do whatever you see fit to do in my life. Now, as we look at this word serve here, uh, you just have to recognize that there, this is a continuous call to action. I think that maybe one of the biggest mistakes that has been made by Christians in talking about salvation is thinking that this is just some kind of a one-time thing. That it's just a one-time decision and then we're done. No, this is not a one-time decision, but this is a continuous action. Yes, it's true that salvation begins by calling upon the Lord. That you come maybe to a day where you can think about how you chose that day to follow the Lord. And I believe that when we make a decision to follow him, that we are safe and secure in him. But that does not mean that we can just sit back and take life easy and just don't do anything at all. What that means is that you wake up the next day and you have to choose to follow the Lord again. And you choose the next day to follow him. And the next day and the next day and the next day, you choose to continue to follow the Lord. And that doesn't mean that you lost your salvation while you were sleeping overnight. No, you you do that because there is a need to continuously persevere in your faith. You, You continue to follow the Lord. Joshua is lovingly warning the people here and he says, you know, I I know what you're saying right now that you want to follow the Lord, but, but I want you to think about what you're doing here and how this is going to require a daily renewal of your commitment with the Lord. He wants them to make this decision. He wants them to understand the decision that they are making. And and that's why we read this in verse 23. It says, the people say, you know what, um, we, we want to serve the Lord. And so Joshua says, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. He says, you know what, you need to stop serving all of the other gods that you're serving then. If you want to serve the Lord, then serve him and serve him alone. Don't serve anything else. And so as they declare that they are going to do this, they make this covenant together. Joshua writes this down. He makes this monument in this moment so that they can come back and remind themselves of the fact that this day they chose to serve the Lord. Now, I think the reason why this passage is so important, uh, not only is this important because this was their story, but I think this is important because it's our story as well. You know, we could go around the room here this morning and we could hear all of our stories in so many thousands of different ways. But one thing that I think is so amazing is that really our stories are all quite similar. You know, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of disappointment in every person's story in life. And there might be tons of different stories. But, but let me just say something, and this is not to make light of your story or of my story, but at the end of the stories, all of our stories are so very similar um, because they're all stories about God at work. They're stories of God's uh, sovereign guidance and of his saving grace. At the end of it all, when God tells your story, it's all so very similar to my story and, and to everyone else's story of his grace as well. That he is the hero of the story. He is the one who is 
protecting and leading. It's his guidance, it's his calling. It's his stirring, it's his moving. Even when we think that we have done something in our own power, in our own strength to somehow initiate something right and good in our lives, the only reason why we could do that is because God put it in our heart in the first place. He is always moving before us. He is always one step ahead. He is the hero of the story. The truth is, is that all of our stories can be summarized in the way that Paul would summarize it in Ephesians chapter 2, the very beginning of that passage, where Paul would say this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And someday in eternity, we will look back on our story And we will understand that our story is a story of sovereign guidance and of saving grace. And listen, in the same way that their story demanded a decision, our story demands a decision as well. A choice must be made. Choose this day whom you will serve. Every day we're faced with this choice. Every day we've got to make a choice about who is going to be the boss, about who is going to be the Lord of our lives. You've got a choice. Is God going to direct your day today? Or are you going to direct your day today? At home, at work, at school, with your friends, with your family, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors? Who is going to direct your life? Who is going to direct your words? Who is going to direct your deeds? Oftentimes we find that there may be a day when we make an initial choice to follow the Lord. Maybe you can even look back on that day when you first made that choice. But every day after that you will continue to make a choice about who you're going to serve. It's not just adding Jesus to our lives. But it's about coming and totally having him transform and change everything about the way that we used to live. God is good. God can be trusted. He has proved himself over and over and over again. He proved himself to the Israelites during the time of Joshua. He continues to prove himself every day until this very day. The same question confronts us today that confronted them back then. Choose this day whom you will serve. And we don't just serve the Lord because we owe him. We don't just serve the Lord because of what he has done for us, because of uh, the fact that we somehow think we can pay him back. No, we choose to serve the Lord because the Lord is good and because he can be trusted. And that's why we put all of our hope in him. And that's why we put our hope in him and him alone, no one else. The Lord can run our lives better than we can run our lives. If we run our lives, we're going to make a total mess out of it, right? But Jesus wants to take our broken lives and he wants to make them whole again. He wants to set us free. He wants to redeem us. The fact is that we all are going to serve something. We all are serving something. 
If it's not Jesus, then maybe it's our work or maybe it's our children or our hobbies or our stuff. All of us have something that is at the center of our lives. And maybe today you are realizing that something else and not the Lord is at the center of your life. And you are seeing just how destructive that decision can be and where that could uh, lead to just terrible things. Let me encourage you, today is an opportunity where you can choose to serve the Lord. Now, that choice might start today, but tomorrow you're going to have another choice. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, it is a daily walk with the Lord. I, I promise you, Based on my own testimony and experience in life, based on the testimony of thousands of years of people walking with the Lord, that if you follow him, one day you will be able to look back on your story and you'll be able to say, you know what? There was never a time when the Lord disappointed. There was never a time when he did not come through for me. He was always good. He was always better. He was always so very worth it. And so today... I just leave you with this and beg you, choose the Lord. Let's pray.